This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your sometimes host, Matt Scalina. So Matt, today we have... Alex Messina. He's the vice oh. vice president of acquisitions at Nicola Wealth. Where you, I... you came in... So last week you had a banger of an episode. I wasn't yeah. here. Yeah, we had Doug Porter on from BMO Capital Markets, head economist. No, no big economist, deal. Sorry. No big deal. Yeah. And this is no... This has nothing to do with Doug Porter, obviously. And and we did get feedback on that episode. It's fantastic. Lots of but feedback. But you literally, this is in your world, you said, yeah. Alex so, Messina might be the biggest get we have ever had. So let's, I'll break it down. So in the brokerage community, if you're a commercial real estate broker, and let's say, for example, you've got a great development site potentially, or you've got a, a very large scale industrial park, multifamily building, self-storage facility. And when we're talking these assets, these aren't million dollar assets. These are 10, 20. $50 million assets. Nicola Wealth is on that list of the five to seven phone calls that you're making, right? So we reached out to Alex probably over a year ago, extremely busy. We obviously were very appreciative of his time today, but from an acquisition standpoint and a portfolio standpoint, he talks a little bit on the show. I think their portfolio, he says around eight and a half billion right. North America wide. So right. we are very thrilled to have Alex on this because anyone who's in the, in the commercial real estate brokerage community you'll understand just how big of an acquirer Nicola Wealth, Nicola Wealth is that for us to get him on the show and sort of just talk a little bit is tremendous. And it's great because he kind of, through throughout his answers, he kind of outlines how they think about the markets, yeah. why mar- some markets are stronger than others. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really fantastic conversation. One thing before we go into the conversation with Alex O'Corey, he, he made a big point of adding value yeah. as a key kind of strategic component to yeah. the way Nicola operates. And and you had some, you know, we hung up and you went in, you waxed poetic to me. I think you thought the record button was on. <laughs> it, nine minutes later, I said, hey, save this gold for the intro. Can I just rewind and and, have, yeah, and, yeah. and start tee up here? So I think, I think, you know, you know, we, Alex talks about how if they, if they can't extract and add value to the property in some form, whether that's the entitlement phase for development, ground up development, maybe there's you mean buildings that could be repositioned. Every company out there that tends to do extremely well in real estate in one facet or another, a developer, they buy the dirt, they add the value, whether it be a merchant sale or you mean they keep it for lease, they add the value in it. Most investors out there that have very, very large portfolios have built those portfolios on recycling the capital over and over by adding value to the property. Mm-hmm. As an example, if I buy a building, let's say, and we've talked about this in the last couple episodes, I buy a building in a, in a market where the tenants are paying 10 bucks a foot. I come in, I maybe add some curb appeal to the building, but I'm buying it because I know the lease rates in that market are, are 25. Maybe it's a mom and pop owned building. Maybe it's been mismanaged. Who knows what? 
But I go in there and I'm typically doing a reposition on the building. I'm purchasing the building. I'm holding that asset for two or three years, however long it takes me to kind of get the stabilization up to market rates. When I hit my numbers and now my building is fully leased at $22, $23, $25 a foot, I now go back to the bank with a new appraisal. I refinance that building, bring in new debt. That gives me the ability to take do an equity takeout on it. And I'm going to get a very large portion of my capital that I originally invested back, but I still own the asset. Right. So that capital is now back in my pocket. I've somewhat de-risked the asset. I still own the asset. I can take that same capital from two years earlier and go copy and repeat and do it again. Rinse and repeat. And if you kind of have a strategy like that, over a 10 or 20-year period, you can build these massive portfolios, sometimes with not a tremendous amount of out-of-pocket capital because you've been very smart in what you've bought and you've rolled the money every couple of years into a new asset that you can build these very large portfolios with not millions and millions and millions out of the pocket to start with. Now, obviously, the Cola Wealth does it on a completely different scale than what we're talking, but developers, big companies, asset managers, all of that stuff, it's a very similar formula that they, they go after. And, and I think the key thing here is, is that you look at how the big dogs do it, but this is how everyone can do it. Exactly. One of the questions you should be asking of any deal is how do you add value? Yeah, exactly. So when you're looking at an asset is if there's a way that you feel you're buying the asset at a discount compared to what it could be worth, and maybe that's a renovation, maybe it's below market lease rates, maybe you know in three or five years there's major developing around the area, it's going to gentrify, and those lease rates that you own now will be dramatically higher. Ideally, you want to find a way to get the capital out of the property de-risk it the best you can, and then move that capital somewhere else. And, and, and you know, there's, there's not a sort of a typical right or wrong way to do it, but you've got to be able to get the upside in for the property, refinance the asset, and then move that money again. And that's continuous that a lot of people, and you can do it on a very small scale. You could, do, you could buy a single straddle lot potentially mm-hmm. where you either, you know, the rates are dramatically low. You know, I mean, there's new development coming in the area and you can wait a couple of years to get it out. Then you can re- renew the tenant at a much higher rate. I mean, those are the avenues you're looking at, you know, trying to get that capital out and move on to another project. One thing I thought that Alex touched base on that I know he's really excited about and we've seen a huge growth on is their self-storage portfolio. Mm-hmm. And we've had Pat Wood on the show sure. before talking about self-storage. You mean, so it's, you mean, they they have a great portfolio. I know one of our offices was very fortunate to be in a tra- involved in a transaction with them to sell an asset to them. Um, but yeah, you know, that side, you I mean, their, their strategy is very key and you made a, you made a very good point when you have guests on and they're very crystal clear on the objective, oh, yeah. they're very successful. And right. when, when you know, Alex, you know, you ask him a question, a very direct answer because they're very focused. Right. Right. And an eight and a half billion dollar portfolio, you have to be focused. Right. So you I mean there's a reason why, you know, Nicola Wealth's real estate division has grown to the mass that it has because they've been really successful doing what they do. Right. Entrepreneurial, uh, as he put it. Uh, fantastic. Uh, maybe we should cut to our talk with Alex Messina. I feel like we're, yeah. we're, we're, uh, can you tell we're excited? We're, we're not only are we excited, we're trying to steal the thunder, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's impossible in this case. Uh, Vice President of Acquisitions at Nicola Wealth, Alex Messina. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. 
Impact Commercial. John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Alex Messina, Vice President of Acquisitions at Nicola Wealth. How you doing, Alex? I'm awesome, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're we're doing well. Thank you so much for for taking the time. I know uh, you're you're a busy guy, so we appreciate your time. Appreciate you guys having me. Maybe, maybe to start, Alex, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and Nicola Wealth? Sure. So maybe what I'll do is talk about Nicola Wealth Real Estate. So Nicola Wealth Real Estate is the in-house team for Nicola Wealth Management, which is a Vancouver-based planning, financial planning and investment council firm, which manages about $13 billion of client capital. So the real estate team, we have an $8.5 billion real estate portfolio across North America. And it ranges in asset classes. We have industrial, we have office, we have a little bit of retail, we have multifamily, but we also have self-storage and seniors housing. And we now have a small in-house development team and are doing development. So we cover a lot of ground. We acquire assets on our own, and we also partner with best-in-class operators and developers. So Alex, one reason why we wanted to have you on here, and, and Matt is our, is our residential co-host here, in the brokerage community, if you've got a key asset, Alex is one of your top phone calls. So we're, we're very pleased to have you on the show here. I'm flattered. You touched based on your, your portfolio there. Um, is there anything, obviously, any, can you maybe dabble a little bit what areas you guys are in? I know BC is just not in the portfolio. It's not the only area you guys key in on. Can you maybe touch base a little bit of where that portfolio exists and maybe some of the asset classes in there that you guys are most excited about? Sure. So what I'll do is maybe I'll start in Vancouver. And so in that we're based here in Vancouver. So we have quite a diverse portfolio. We have a little bit of office. We own industrial. We have a self-storage brand that we're really excited about called Advanced Self-Storage. We have eight locations throughout the lower mainland and one on Vancouver Island. And we're going to be building our first in Ontario. But that's an asset class we really like. There's lots of runway uh, in terms of rental rate growth and lots of barriers to entry. So that's a business line we really are looking to expand in. Um, and we're also starting to build out a multifamily portfolio here in Vancouver and Victoria. So we've acquired a couple of key sites. And uh, in our pipeline, we have about 2,100 residential units. Kind of going across the country, we have assets in Calgary. They're mainly industrial, a couple assets, industrial assets in Winnipeg, and then a very large portfolio in Ontario in and around the GTA. It's a combination of industrial, some of it's small and mid-bay industrial, and then we're also building newer format industrial distribution space as part of our build-to-own program. And we also own a little bit of uh, creative office. In the U.S., uh, it's really interesting. We own about 20,000 residential rental units, and those are mainly in the south and southeast in the right-to-work states where there's no rent controls, there's great population growth, there's great employment growth. And those would be markets like Houston, Dallas, uh, north and central Florida, Atlanta, Raleigh, Nashville. And then on the industrial and commercial side, we're really focused in the U.S. on six major markets, Seattle, Denver, Phoenix, Vegas, Dallas, 
in Minneapolis. We really like those uh, for industrial. And again, we're we're buying existing smaller product and also building a newer product. And uh, yeah, that's probably it. You know, I'm curious to hear about the last three years. You know, obviously COVID uh, was obviously a surprise and, and, you know, how the market reacted, I think caught a lot of people off guard. The last year has been really choppy and, and difficult to navigate. Can you talk about how you've approached the last three years of, of uncertainty and, and has, has Nicola Wealth pivoted in any way? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Like, I think a, a few years ago, we made a conscientious effort to change our fund composition. And we really focused on really three main asset classes or strategy, uh, industrial, multifamily rental, and self-storage. And that, that strategy played out really well during the pandemic. I mean, there was strong demand from e-commerce for industrial product. We've seen great multifamily rental growth. And on the cell storage I mentioned as well, that's just an asset class that's really hard to get into. And we've, we've continued to see, see really good occupancy and great rent growth. So we don't own a lot of office. And that was really by design. Throughout our portfolio, we don't own any high-rise office, downtown office, for a number of reasons. One's our scale, but it's also, it's also uh, our preference. We see greater demand in kind of the creative single-story flex office space. Mm. So again, coming out of the pandemic, that really worked well as the office landscape shifts and there's you know, there's this emerging work from home trend. So I think, you know, for us, it's all about fund composition and the choice of the right markets. And so doing that leading up to the pandemic served really well. And I think going forward, now that interest rates are rising, the same strategy is prevailing. As interest rates and cap rates rise, the only way to offset against that is the ability to grow rental rates. And so, again, we remain bullish on those asset classes and strategies I mentioned. So we feel like our portfolios are really well positioned to uh, to weather the, the rise in interest rate and cap rates. And Alex, can you talk a little bit about you mentioned there, you know, about about shifting strategy? Can you talk about what makes a good deal on the acquisition side? Like, what are the key kind of components that Nicola Wealth is looking at? Sure. I mean, I think like everybody, like our preference is to acquire off market. I think that's where we do our best deals. It's not that there's less competition, but I think we're able to shine because we are entrepreneurial and quick to react. And so we can get deals done quickly. But I think when we're looking at acquisitions, what we're looking for is how does the deal play within our overall strategy? And what is there that we can do to add value? Like We don't uh, acquire assets where there's nothing to do. So single tenant, long-term net leases, those aren't for us. We're looking at something where we can actually take our 65-person team and create value, whether it's through physical repositionings or through leasings, we want to find an opportunity to actually um, add alpha in this challenging environment. So, you know, whether it's an industrial asset, we're looking for opportunities to mark rents to market, or same thing, a strategy applies to multifamily. So that's for us. It's where can we find an opportunity to add value, and, and that even goes down to the the, the levels of financing. Um, you know, we can close with cash, off, but we do use debt and we have a three-person in-house debt team. So the ability to move quickly for us, I think, differentiates us. Alex, you touched base there on sort of things that you guys can add value to. And, and maybe over the years, you guys, seems like you've done a lot of exciting developments and joint venture projects throughout the province. Can you maybe touch base a little bit, maybe on some past successes through the development side of the business there? And then maybe if you have any exciting projects in the pipeline that you want to let us know about? Sure. And and so on the development side, we really have two approaches. We 
and we, we, we put them in two buckets. One we call merchant development, so strategies where we are building to sell. And then we have our build-to-own program, which where we're taking a longer-term approach and we are building to keep assets long-term. So starting with the merchant approach to development, we've had a lot of great success with partners developing Strata Industrial. And we started doing that in 2015. And we've really focused on small and mid-bay product starting in Vancouver, but we have now done projects in Kelowna and in, uh, on, in Victoria. Uh, we're now starting to see that strategy rollout in Ontario. So that's continued to be a great, uh, a great business line for us. On the build-to-own program, I mentioned that we're building rental in Vancouver and Victoria. That's a big part of our strategy. We have a five-person development team based here in Vancouver. And they are focused on a couple of key projects. One is a site we bought in 2021 in Mount Pleasant on Main Street, the former city center motor hotel. It's about a 35,000 square foot site in the Broadway plan. And we're going to be looking to develop two purpose-built rental towers on that site. So we're really excited about that. Uh, You may have seen in the media that as an interim use, we've repurposed the property as artist studios. And so it's a great way we can give back to our community. And it was the home to Vancouver Mural Fest. Mm. So that's a really cool and exciting project. And then, you know, because we are a Vancouver-based company, we uh, we have a great opportunity at Cambian 7th, where we will be creating the future home of Nicola Wealth Management Robinson Lighting Store at Cambian 7th. We are building a uh, 10-story mass timber office building. Yeah, very cool. And when does... Timelines on on that. We're actually uh, our studio is at Eighth and Yukon, so I walk by that that site every day. So um, you know we have our letters of inquiry into the city right now, and are running through the process. But like building anything in the city of Vancouver, we have to be patient. So twenty thirty seven. Yeah. So hoping to start construction uh, towards the end of the next year. Matt was just asking because he's looking for the uh, the closing out sale on the lights there at Robinson <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lighting because it's uh, he's got a, a doing house. a small rental on my a house. Small <laughs> rental of the house there. Alex, one thing too that that I wanted to sort of ask is I know you guys had created a partnership on a brand new project there in downtown Kelowna. Uh, it's an office building there. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit about that? I'm I'm personally very excited about that because it's sort of a classy office building in the downtown core there which doesn't seem like there's uh, much competition for that right now. How is that project going and how is like the leasing of that project going? Is there, have you found the demand for that type of project worked out really, really well so far? Yeah, happy to talk about it. It is an exciting project. It's a project we're doing in partnership with the Mission Group. It's called The Block, which is the office building. Um, and it has a sister project that is a residential condo tower. So it is a truly a mixed-use project. But it is a, it's a 12-story office building. I believe we're now the 10th level. So construction is advancing nicely. We've had good interest. We were really drawn to this project because we see the evolution of downtown Kelowna. And you're right, there hasn't been a whole lot of new office product brought to that market. Um, With UBCO and all of the residential development happening in downtown Kelowna, we're seeing a real opportunity to have a key position with a a marquee building there. So we've had some good interest. We are doing pre-leasing right now, and um, it's, it's, it's gone reasonably well. So with a portfolio the size that you guys have, and is it, it's sort of North American wide, can you maybe touch base on like, what markets are you guys most excited about in 2023 and maybe why? Great. So Canada is easy because there aren't that many major markets to choose from. And so, you know, obviously we're based here in Vancouver and we like Vancouver for all the obvious reasons. And we like Victoria and Kelowna. There's been great population growth 
You've got major universities, hospitals, and airports, and great economic drivers in those markets. And we really like Toronto. Like Toronto is the biggest market. It's probably the third biggest market in North America. It's got an amazing industrial market that's you know close to uh, 950 million square feet. Uh, amazing population growth, and again, great employment drivers. So I think in Canada, it's really Vancouver and Toronto. Other markets that we are looking at include Montreal, and I think that's another great market that we will eventually expand into. In the U.S., there's much more choice. And so being Western-based, we are, we are really more Western-focused. And there's sort of, I mentioned six markets that we focus on, but uh, we like Seattle, the market that we started in, an amazing tech talent pool. But on the industrial side, we really like Phoenix, Dallas, and Las Vegas. And those markets have really strong industrial markets. They're large markets by Canadian comparison. And they're located on major distribution corridors. We've seen amazing leasing velocity in those markets. So even though things have maybe quieted down as 22 drew to a close, the leasing velocity that we're seeing in those markets is tremendous. So I think that's where we're, we're going to see a lot more success. We're building projects. We're acquiring existing. So really, yeah, Phoenix, Vegas, and Dallas are markets that we're really excited about. Is there a common metric between those three American markets that you like that that you're seeing success in? Is there a reason why those you've keyed on those three and you mentioned the lease up and stuff like that and those markets are working really, really well? Is there any dynamic that's driving that? I think there's slightly different drivers behind each of them. And I think that's what's actually nice and the ability for us to diversify our portfolio. There's been a lot of great growth in Phoenix uh, as a result of the, the onshoring of manufacturing and technology. You've got in, Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor in, investing significantly in chip plants. And that's got a lot of spinoff and alternate uses. So, I mean, I think everyone thinks about Phoenix and Vegas in 08, 09 in that context and in the residential market and it being overbuilt. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're seeing now is a diversification of their economy. That maybe is the commonality. I'm curious about timing. I mean, we've seen a lot of people, you know, the uncertainty in the market and a lot of people hitting pause in the last six months, uh, nine months uh, with interest rates increasing and, and all the rest of the uncertainty in the market. How, how have you approached this period? Uh, is it kind of full steam ahead? I think like, yeah, I think like everybody, we, tapping the brakes I and mean, we had a really active start to the year last year in 2022 and but the bulk of our activity was really focused in the first half of the year um everyone expected interest rates to rise i just don't think that anyone predicted it would happen at the pace they did mm-hmm. and so as interest rates continued to move it just continued to give pause to the market so we've been looking at a, at a lot of opportunities but i think as it pertains to development there's a lot of groups that are facing a capital squeeze right now where they've got very low rate debt and the economic landscape to their development projects has changed. There's more equity-required construction costs that have risen. And so what I think that's going to do is further constrain new supply, particularly on the multifamily rental side. And I think therein lies an opportunity. So one of the things we're really focused on right now is getting geared up to move forward with our projects because we think uh, it's important to stay in the queue and keep these projects moving forward because a lot of the other new supply is going to be on the sidelines. With a portfolio the size that you guys have, obviously you guys are monitoring things like inflation and stuff like that. Where do you think that goes in 2023? Obviously, we have we just had Doug Porter on last week, chief economist for BMO, and he kind of shared his sentiment on, you mean, the big R-word recession or maybe lack thereof, it sounds like. What are you guys, what are you guys anticipating? So 
I mean, maybe what I'll do is I'll stay clear of more of the the economic and CIC forecast, sure, but sure. more more so as it pertains to construction costs. And what we saw a lot, you know, in the last few years is construction costs rise quickly. I mean, demand outpaced supply, and we're not seeing a major softening in prices right now. But I think what we're expecting is pricing to level off. And again, what that does is that provides clarity, and that's what there hasn't been. It's been mm-hmm. All the development performance have been stressed by a lack of clarity around costs financing and interest rates and, and, and takeout values. So uh, I think you know what we need are construction costs to level off to provide some clarity. And we're starting to see signs of that happening, but it's early days. Alex, we have a lot of um, mom and pop investors that listen to the show. Maybe thinking kind of smaller scale in the commercial space, if you were a mom and pop investor right now, what would you be looking to to acquire if you were, you know, in terms of asset class and also location? And maybe we'll leave location like full North America. Uh, what's the best opportunity for for a smaller player out there? Well, I like really like multifamily rental, and the nice thing about that asset class is that it it comes in different scales. So if you you know, but you can still approach the same thematic investment strategy, which is the housing shortage that everybody talks about. And so I mentioned all these new projects pausing um, or, or maybe not even ever starting. Mm-hmm. You're going to see less new supply. And there's amazing demographic trends happening right now with respect to immigration, new students coming to Canada. And so I really like multifamily rental in Vancouver. And I think it's all about picking strong infill locations, whether it's within the city of Vancouver, Burnaby, the North Shore. I mean, I think what we benefit here in Vancouver is that we are land constrained. And so, you know, being closer into the core, you're going to see longer term appreciation. Multifamily rental is all about growth. It's not about the existing yield that you're buying into. It's your ability to continue to sustain and grow that yield. And I think picking strong neighborhoods in and around Metro Vancouver is a very safe but also rewarding strategy. So throughout the province here, you I mean, obviously you talked about a little bit earlier there about your self-storage portfolio and you have the one asset there over in Vancouver Island. Do you guys see yourself expanding the portfolio, maybe not just in self-storage, but overall on Vancouver Island? It seems like that's a market that a lot of people have sort of picked that uh, they like. We know you have a very large presence in Kelowna, which everyone's like, but what about Vancouver Island? What are your thoughts there? So we are really focused on major markets and strong secondary markets. So we have started to grow our portfolio in Victoria and we like Victoria. We have a small asset base in Nanaimo. We have two retail centers and one seniors um, housing community, which does extremely well. So Nanaimo is another great market, but I think it's also asset class dependent. So for Vancouver Island, we like Victoria for industrial, for multifamily rental, for certain types of office. For Nanaimo, I think our interest lies around... um, Multifamily residential. That's another great market there. Um, It's also about getting scale. So, for us, if we're looking at multifamily rental to keep long term, we're kind of looking for 100 plus units of newer quality product. Um, But we could also look at Nanaimo for self storage. So, Alex, we're going to ask you if you can take out your crystal ball here. And just so you know, everything you say, we're going to fact check and we're going to hold you to your prediction here. What is Alex's prediction for 2023? I would <laughs> what is Alex's prediction for 2023 for the real estate market? Do we do we just kind of bypass all the concern because demand's so high? Does it pull off? What do you what do you think? And can we extend that out maybe this year and then one to three, five years? Yeah, we're gonna get our pens ready here, Alex. So go ahead. 
Oh my goodness. Why stop there? If you want a long-term <laughs> forecast. <here. laughs> well, I think for 2023, you know, it was slower coming into the start of the year. And I think that's going to continue. I think there's a couple of things we've got to watch for. And obviously, you know, the first is on everybody's mind, which is interest rates. Are they going to continue to level off? And I think if they level off, it provides more certainty and clarity. It allows you to underwrite new opportunities with more confidence. And that's what's missing. So I think that if interest rates level off towards the end of the year, you're going to see real estate activity, transaction activity pick up again. And, and the key is, you know, whether or not um, a, a recession sets in or not. Um, I think here in Vancouver, we may narrowly avoid one, um, just given that we have a diverse economic base, uh, with a lot of growth happening. So, you know, I think the other factor too is this capital squeeze that's happening where, you know, there are groups that are undercapitalized. And, you know, the nice thing about the Vancouver market is for the most part, there's a lot of private capital that's really well healed. And there has typically isn't any distress selling. There's also a lot of capital on the sidelines right now. So I think what we're going to see is, you know, interest rates will probably level off and transaction activity will resume. But in doing that, I think there's probably be a bit of a reset in terms of um, seller expectation. And then beyond that, given that I'm on record here, I think it's going to be hard to predict. But again, I think <laughs> I think I think there's going to be great growth in the multifamily rental sector, and I think rents are going to continue to move uh, just because of the the population trends, the housing shortage, and and the demand for people to come to to strong markets like like Vancouver, like Victoria. Toronto. And just thinking about that, the the resetting of sellers' expectations, when do you think, when's the bottom? Again, on record. <laughs> I, I, I don't think that, I, I don't necessarily think that, that prices are going to move dramatically. I think what there's going to be is more of a, a, a moderation in terms of, of expectation. I think there are a lot of sellers that ex, that were conditioned or used to getting unsolicited offers that had very little conditionality with short timelines. And I just mm -hmm. think that now, you know, buyers are a lot more conservative and a lot more careful. And so, you know, pricing maybe comes off 10 to 15%, but I don't think the sky is falling by any stretch and I don't think it will. So I'm not sure that it, like, I, I prefer to avoid the, the phrase bottoming out. I think it's, you know, it's going to just uh, sort of adjust gradually. But again, there's so much demand for quality product. There's a lot of capital, private capital and institutional capital on the sidelines that I think, you know, it's these groups are waiting for the right opportunities. And as soon as there's clarity in the market, they will jump back in. And I think that will potentially result in prices really not adjusting as much as some people are maybe hoping for. Yeah, I think I think sentiment everything he says there, because I see on, on the brokerage side of things through all of our offices, we hear consistently capitals on the side waiting to come in, but demand is still there. Demand hasn't diminished. And, you know, Alex made a really good point earlier on in the conversation that, you I mean, land is very tough to come by in a lot of the major BC markets. So I would have to uh, second Alex's opinion there. I won't go on record saying that. We got Alex on record, but I will stand by it. <laughs> Alex, we know we got a tight okay, timeline here. we're in it here. together. We're <laughs> in it. It's a partnership. We're going down together. Uh, before we let you go here, we know we're on a tight timeline. We have a six-pack of lighthearted questions we ask all of our guests so we get to know you a little bit more outside of the office. Can we steal two more minutes of your time before we let you go? Let's do it. Awesome. Let's do it. First, Am I going on record on these as well? Oh, yeah. This is, the whole thing's on record. <laughs> 
The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim, Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. Lead us off. All right, uh, Alex, first question for you. Favorite vacation spot? Maui. Oh, any particular part of Maui. That's a common one a lot of people have that. Is there any particular part of Maui? Canapoli. Oh, it's my favorite. I was going to say you spend a lot of time I, I, in I, I, Maui. I grew, growing up as a kid, my parents had a place at the Outrigger, which is on the 16th hole of the Canapoli golf course. And my dad was a school teacher. So every summer we would go to Maui for the whole month of August. And it wasn't until I was about probably 12 that I discovered that every kid doesn't go to, doesn't go to <laughs> Maui for a month. And I hadn't been for about 20 years. And I took my family back this year and we stayed at the Westin on the beach there. It was the best trip ever. My wife has a different opinion, but I thought it was the best trip ever. So I will, I will. So, so when I was, when I was young and before I had children, I used to, travel to much more exotic places like Southeast Asia, India, South America. And I couldn't understand why anybody would want to go to Maui. And then I had children and I tried it and I went to Maui and it turns out it's pretty nice. It's awesome. It's awesome. That's my favorite vacation spot as well. Alex, our, our opinions are one in the same here. It seems like. <laughs> okay. Next question. Keep up. rolling. Unfortunately, you've, you, you've done some bad stuff. You're on death row. You get one final meal. What meal is that? Okay. It's going to be a long meal, yeah, but I yeah. think, you know, I, I'm Italian, so I have a little bit of bias. I like really good pizza. So um, whether it's Via Tavere or pizza, Pizzeria Farina, I love their, their stuff. So it'd probably be that. And it would also be, I think, uh, Indian food. I love Indian food. Okay. But you, it sounds like you spent some time in East Van. Throughout the region. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite band, Alex? Pearl Jam. Oh, that's a good one. Saw them at the Gorge in Washington State. Was an amazing venue, and in, in being uh, in their home state, it was an awesome concert. That would be good. Right on. The Gorge is a great venue. So now it's Friday night. You're out with the guys. You've had a few beers. You're feeling really good about yourself. Someone gives you a karaoke mic. What song are you singing? Probably shouldn't be singing any song. <laughs> uh, I am going to go. With, I'm drawing a blank here, guys. Um, Nickelback. I mean, it's definitely not Nickelback. <laughs> Got to be careful because we're on the record here. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with. Uh, okay, let's skip. Let's skip over that. We'll come back. To this we'll come back. All right. We'll come okay. Back uh, one book you can recommend our listeners doesn't have to necessarily be in, uh, in related to commercial real estate. Well, I love. Uh, Steve Schwartzman's book from founder of Blackstone. That's um, an awesome book. But I think if you're looking for something uh, a little bit more light and more along the category of a novel, there's a book called Shantaram by Gregory David Roberts. And it was recently made into, um, I guess, a, a miniseries right. on Apple TV. It's an amazing tale that I would encourage you to read the book first and then start watching the show, which is also great. I'm about 80 pages into that book. And uh, somebody else actually literally said the same thing. Read the book first. Uh, so yeah, so good you probably have about 1200 more pages. To yeah, go, so I know. I'll, ways, talk, I'll let you know how it goes in off. 2025. All right, Alex, uh, six question up. 
a piece of advice you would maybe give and say a commercial real estate investor, first time investor for 2023, what's a piece of advice we could share? I think we got to be patient and look at the look at things over the long run. Like real estate is a long term investment, and it's hard to look at it, you know, year over year and 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 cycle to cycle. I think you need to have long term conviction and investment strategies, and not just uh, it's not a it's not a business that's designed to uh, make a quick profit. We really got to take a long term view. Fantastic. Uh, got to go back. We, are we going oh, back? We got we got to go back. We're on record here. So so Alex. Karaoke song, Sweet, Car- Sweet Caroline, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. That uh, one's too hard. <laughs> How You Remind Me by Nickelback, Daughter by Pearl Jam. What's the song that you're singing when someone puts the I'm, mic in front of you? I'm embarrassed that I'm going to admit it, but it's Don't Stop Believing. Oh, oh that's, that's hey, a good one. There's no and there's no embarrassment. There's there. no embarrassment there whatsoever. <laughs> uh, Alex, uh, as long they- as you don't make me sing it. <laughs> that, that's that's on the next episode of the podcast. We're going to come back and hit you up a year now for an update. So. Uh, Alex, thanks again for your time. Uh, how can people find out more about Nicola Wealth and, and what you're doing over there? I would encourage them to go to our website, which is realestate.nicolawealth.com. Fantastic. Well, once again, thanks so much, Alex. That was, that was a great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. We know you're really, really busy. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Alex Messina, Vice President of Acquisitions, Nicola Wealth Real Estate. So many takeaways there. I feel like you you mentioned the laser-like focus. It's nice to talk to, to somebody like Alex because it refocuses, yeah. okay, what the what your primary objectives should be as an investor. A really, really, uh, really insightful conversation. Well, one thing too is like even the asset classes that he talks about that they focused in on self-storage, multifamily, and industrial, those were asset classes that that did extremely well during the pandemic versus a retail shopping center probably didn't have the same success. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think they, I mean, probably pivoted their strategy maybe potentially during that time, but they they have a tremendous portfolio, a lot of really smart key acquisitions. What I'm excited for is the project they have coming up on Main Street, the motor, I think it was called the Motor Inn. That yeah, they bought, that's like they bought right on there. at 6th and Main, I think. Yeah, that will be a really, really interesting project. I know they have other properties and projects they've done in that corridor. So it will be a, a, a really key project, in my opinion, that will really change that lower half of Maine. Well, they're going to be neighbors of ours. Pokemon Studios will be just down the street yeah, well, from uh, from their new headquarters at Cambion Seventh. Well, you were you were inquiring about the new headquarters, and I thought you want to find a new studio. And I'm thinking, like, man, we're going to need a lot more sponsors if we're going to pay the rent there. Yeah, no, no, no. It was more about the lights the and, motor, and the sales. Yeah. <laughs> When's the closing out sale going on? But I think at the the Motor Hotel, neighbor of of basically all of Byron Charts developments yeah, along yeah, Maine, right? Yeah. Anyway, it's a small world. Uh, that was a great conversation. Maybe we'll leave it there, Corey, but how can people find out what you're, more about what you're doing over at William Wright and especially if they're interested in uh, taking advantage of some of the opportunities you foresee in 2023? Yeah, they can reach out to us anytime in our Vancouver office, 604-428-5255. They can send me an email, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. They can visit our website, WilliamWright.ca, sign up for the latest and greatest, and we're happy to put them in touch with the best broker in the province for whatever their needs are. And, uh, and we should say... It is now, I think I might have mentioned this before. We do have a new website. We do it have launched, a new website. It launched last week, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, where we have all the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast episodes and all the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast episodes. The summaries are much better. Yeah. So if, you're, if, you're, if you heard something, and this is something that I've already been thinking about, 
if you're listening to this, you know, whenever it comes out and you think I need to go back and Alex said something super interesting, find it in the summary on our website. It's much easier to do that right now. They're, they're more detailed and, and very useful. Of course, we have a plethora of resources, Corey. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Subscribe today. 